Welcome back to Cricket Central, the podcast where we discuss all the stories, big and small. We're here for the days two, three, and four recap uh, from the second test between Australia and West Indies from Adelaide, uh, where Australia absolutely dominated the match and won by 419 runs. Uh, I think our biggest ever victory against the West Indies. Uh, to talk about it, uh, we are from far afield. Uh, today, we've got Ethan in Melbourne, but we've got Navod um, coming live and clear from uh, Colombo, Sri Lanka, uh, while I'm over in the, the great state of South Australia. So, um, yeah, we're coming from all areas, but uh, we've all been following um, a very successful match for the Australians. Just to quickly go through the last couple of days play very quickly, uh, we obviously had on day two, Australia finally declare for 511 after Travis Head was uh, rudely uh, stitched up by uh, Cam Green um, and run out for 175. Uh, then we had in that night session, Australia, uh, West Indies uh, being four for 102 at stumps after Stark and Lyon bowled well in that first innings. Uh, and on, then on day three, uh, things really started to fall apart with the bat for the West Indies with Chanderpool uh, getting run out by Mitchell Stark early on um, and things just got worse and worse from there, uh, getting all out for 110 in the end. It was almost a repeat of the of the Perth test where there was really no need for Australia to be batting again, but, uh, you know, just there was also no need to enforce the follow one. So I think they, they just thought we may as well give the crowd a bit of a show um, and that they did in an interesting second innings um, where, you know, people were just going out there and slogging a bit. Usman Khawaja hit a good 45, uh, some cameos from Labashane, Smith and Head again. Um, and in the end, Australia uh, declaring on 199, uh, setting West Indies the impossible target of 497. Then last night, we had yet again the Bolland show um, in the second innings. Again, him picking up uh, three for 16. Um, incredible show under the lights. Uh, meaning that they were four for 21 at Stumps. So today it was really just a, a mopping up job where the Aussies finished them off for just 77 runs, um, bringing on a tremendous victory, but one where, you know, it hurts you to say it, but really the biggest story is just how far West Indies have fallen, I think you would have to say. Uh, but we'll, we'll start with the good stuff. Uh, Ethan, um, well, just a, a masterclass from the Aussies, surely, even with slightly different cast uh, this time, uh, showing our depth a bit. Yeah, I think the Australian bowlers have done a, a fabulous job, even with two significantly major outs in Hazelwood and Cummins, who are arguably our two best bowlers, certainly by ranking. Uh, and we've, if anything, done a better job against this West Indies lineup, who did look a little bit tired. Um, and they had their their own selection issues, but it was a pretty complete performance. Everyone bowled economically. I think we saw the best of Stark, Boland, and Nisa, particularly in that second innings. And it was Nathan Lyon doing what he does best, an expert show of controlled but aggressive offspin. And Cam Green chipping in with a wicket as well. So really a pretty complete bowling performance from this Aussie attack. And it's good that, uh, Neeser and Bolin have been able to come in and pretty much carry on the great work of the other Aussie quicks. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Navad, I don't know how much you caught of it, but um, it was just remarkable seeing Scott Bolland um, do it again last night, uh, this time under lights. Uh, he just seems to hit that spot and uh, is unplayable at times. Yeah, I couldn't catch much viewing. I, I was following along uh, on, on ESPN uh, in, the, in the car and in because uh, I went to a different part of Sri Lanka uh, for three days. So I was following that along uh, with the great difficulty with, with no signal, but I did see all of uh, Scott Boland's wickets fall um, yeah, on, uh, on the app. And yeah, it seems like from what I was reading, um, it seems like he was, he was yeah, hitting that, that perfect line, um, that perfect length. Um, and just, yeah, the, it just really troubled the West Indian batsmen. So he's really a, a magical, a magical bowler. And I'm sure you'll, you'll, how you'll, uh, get up the stats uh, that he has but um yeah like a 10 average 30 strike rate is is just fantastic and it shows really shows Australia's depth even uh Nisa as well um you know sort of you know on the fringes of the side but once he gets in and once Boland gets in they they perform they show up and it's really it's really exciting to see how uh, Australia's depth um you know has continued once you know you lose the the big players like Cummins and Hazelwood uh, you've still got those players that are still capable of of playing at that test level, which is this is pretty incredible. Yeah, and really becoming a second inning specialist. He's got an average of something like four point three, I think, um, in the second innings of test matches, and has got about I think fifteen of his twenty one wickets or something in that also. So, uh, Ethan, really, I, I think he's shown even more that he'll potentially play a really important role for us in um, the Ashes next year, I think, uh, with with that style of, of bowling um, that he has, and especially with the pink ball, which are under lights, which is more like English conditions. Uh, do you think he, he could be a key part of our campaign next year? Look, if he, if he gets a game, I expect him to perform, although it is unfortunately almost, or, or fortunately, depending on how you see it, very hard to see. I guess, a clear pathway for him to be into the side. I think we'll always pick Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins and Lyon for that matter when fit. But I think we almost said the same last Ashes in England and there was a bit more of a rest and rotation policy. Australia were very selective with which grounds they play particular bowlers at. But, I mean, if, if you think Hazelwood is consistent with his line and length, Scott Boland, if anything, seems almost a step up from that. He's consistently been the most economical and particularly for that triple wicket maiden that he bowled. Almost every single ball is challenging that fourth stump channel at an uncomfortable length. And it just seems that he's got all the control in the world and with a bit of movement, it's almost unplayable. So certainly in terms of backup bowlers, I think he might be almost the best going around. And it's one of those cases where if he does make it into the side, it's very possible that he's going to be at the same level, if not maybe even a little bit higher than what we've got currently. But with the experience of our major quartet and their proven record, I think it's unless there's an injury or, or a deliberate strategy to arrest people for particular grounds, hard to say if he'll play a significant role or not. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Hazelwood's the one now that there's seems to always be questions over. I think he there's some talk he might be out for, the entire South Africa series uh, with his I think side strain or something I think that he's got and obviously coming off a missing a lot of tests already so yeah I, I think there's a chance that he could get 
um, a shot there with injury. Just watching him the last couple of days, I think it's not only that he bowls such a consistent line, but he's actually very skillful at sort of the angles that he uses, he, a few cutters in there. Um, yeah, really very impressive bowler. Uh, and really all, all our bowlers were pretty impressive. Uh, I was there today um, and Mitchell Stark was bowling as well as um, I've ever seen him bowl, really. Um, pitching it up a long way, uh, getting a fair bit of swing. That ball uh, to bowl Jason Holder was uh, as good a one as you'll ever see. Uh, and then even Michael Nisa, um, he he got in on the act also, um, getting uh, two, three wickets, three wickets um, for 22 in the second innings uh, to go along with two in the first and uh, pretty handy also. Uh, how did you rate those two, Ethan? I, I think... Really, they were both pretty simple traditional bowling and it, it just worked against this sort of weakened batting attack. But one thing that, that should be stressed is that Australia were very, very good in the field and carry with the gloves as well. And really any half chance was pretty much snatched up, particularly when Kerry came up to the stumps and managed a couple of good grabs against Michael Nisa. Really, the quality fielding and, and keeping made the made the bowlers efforts really pay off and they did pretty much exactly what you need to put it on a good spot consistently with a little bit of movement with runs on the board on a day four wicket it, it that's really textbook test match cricket so it was, it was just very very good first principles from australia and where they've won the series they've really outdone the west indies in the basics and it was good to see knees from bowling even though they are fringe players really excel on those basics and do a lot right yeah, 100%. And we, it would be a miss of us to, to not mention Nathan Lyon bringing up his 450th wicket um, also. Uh, so, yeah, really very complete performance by the Australian bowlers and, well, the batting. We don't even really need to speak about that, with the exception of Warner, who we'll get on to in a second. Uh, very impressive. But uh, we'll flip across to West Indies' side uh, of things. Uh, and, Avad, I'll give you the, the first shot on this because I know you are... Uh, well, that you know, I think West Indies are your second team uh, from from what you've said. Uh, but uh, well, you know, today I, I was there at the game and uh, was hoping to get you know at least uh, at least a session. But in the end, got just a little over an hour and a half. So I decided to stay along for the the presentation ceremony at the end. And uh, Craig Brathwaite, uh, very interesting um, interview he gave there, where he was very honest about where West Indies are at and. Said he said that uh, you know in the first test they he thought that they showed a lot of fight um, and uh, you know he was pretty happy with their effort at least if, if not the result uh, but he he said that this test they didn't show any fight at all um, and he seemed pretty disappointed uh, with the way things were at there uh, do you think that's uh, a fair takeaway um, and well have the have the West Indies sort of taken a, another step down on the on the the rung uh you know and where is it going to end for the windies a lot of questions there but uh, i'll hand it across to you uh, i'll do my best to answer them i think <laughs> definitely i think uh the craig brathwaite's response is, is very fair i think and and it's rightly rightfully so i think in the first test i was actually i was very impressed the batting efforts uh by the openers at the start uh Tejirin especially um were, were absolutely fantastic and then in the second innings in their second batting innings craig brathwaite with that absolute absolutely brilliant century and then Roston Chase I think with a 50 as well 
and, and Tejna in contributing with something 40-odd, I can't exactly remember, but yeah, I thought they did actually put up a good fight, and, and the bowlers were good. I thought the bowling was a bit better this test uh, for the West Indies, especially in that first innings, but definitely the batting, um, for sure, just collapsed uh, and you couldn't couldn't put up anything really against uh, the attack from Boland, Nisa, and Stark and Lyon as well. So it, very disappointing, and, and I think Craig Brathwaite is, is rightfully disappointed on how they played. I think going from the first test when there was you know these these glimmers of hope, obviously it was pretty unlikely that they would they were going to win any of these tests. But um, you know they actually they outperformed my expectations for sure, uh, especially in that first test. So. Yeah, I think Craig Bathwaite is, is has to be rightfully uh, disappointed. Have West Indies taken a step off the rung? I don't think so. I think that first has really showed that they can come here and you know be a little bit competitive. Obviously, they did lose the test and did lose this one quite substantially. But what I saw from the first test for the, from the West Indians was something that really impressed me. It, I didn't really think they would... I really thought they would do something like they did in the second innings of this test, right? A 77 or a very low total, I mean, you know, all out. But they managed to put on, I don't know how many runs, but it was it was quite impressive, right? Um, Tej Noreen and Craig Brathwaite both contributing. Roston Chase with a 50 and a, and a Craig Brathwaite 100. Craig Brathwaite has had, I think I saw a stat, the last 11 centuries have all been to Craig Brathwaite from the West Indies in test cricket. So you, it shows you how much of a, a good player he is. And I don't think the West Indies have stepped down a rung. I think this is a really good learning lesson for them. I think they're trying to climb that ladder, but uh, unfortunately a little bit slippy up there. So they need to just fix up a few of the things. I think batting is probably their main concern uh, and and bowling as well. I think it's, it's, it's okay, I, I say main concern, but I think it is an all-round thing. There needs to be a bit, you know, the bowling needs to be a bit better, especially in the spin department. Choosing Not choosing Rakeem Cornell was probably an, an error, in my opinion. Um, although Roston Chase did get runs, I think he wasn't, the best of uh, spinners. So maybe choosing Rakeem Corner would have been a better idea. Um, and then batting just the middle order is not great. It, it's, let's be honest, it's not good at all. Uh, it's not test quality. Only the openers really uh, were test quality for me, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and the, the rest weren't that good. I think Joshua De Silva is one of those players which I've kind of liked. He's done well in the West Indies, but so far he's yet to prove uh, elsewhere. So yeah, all of in in conclusion, uh, after this long essay, I think, um, yeah, West Indies rightfully have to be pretty disappointed with what they did. Uh, but whether they've stepped off the rung, I don't think so. I think they're just where they were before com- coming before into this test. Uh, and there's a lot to work on. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on the West Indies. Yeah, in- interesting. And, yeah, I guess to support your point there, they, they did. We do have to say that they did have, uh, I think it was four players out from their their first test to the second test, and then Marquino Minley got injured and and couldn't bowl, so they have had their fair share of bad luck in that second test as well. But Ethan, uh, would you agree with that take, or would you be more pessimistic, less pessimistic, maybe? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I, I think I largely agree. It's it's tough when your side really doesn't have the probably the genuine talent that other teams might have. I think looking at this list, there's a lot of players who on their day can probably come up with the great innings, but none of them really look like they'll have prolific, prolonged careers. I think there's a, a lot to be desired in their middle order. I think the, the openers are solid, but then when you get into Brooks, Blackwood, Thomas, even Mayers and Holder, 
it's it's a lot of mediocrity. Um, and I guess that's showcased by the, their averages, but certainly on their day, capable of hitting that match winning 100. But maybe it's something to do with their own domestic system. But it's a lot of these players just don't have the application to really dig in and bat balls consistently. And it's it's tough going for the West Indies at the minute. I think on the bright side, their pace stocks, there's a little bit of promise there. I think Jaden Searles, Alzari Joseph, you can build a, a team around those sort of players. And it's good to see Taj and Ryan Chanderpaul have a, a pretty good series. So they, they do have some building blocks, but there needs to be a lot of rebuilding, particularly in their middle order for and to be competitive against some of the bigger sides. Yeah, yeah, the, the middle water really is the big thing. And I think you predicted before the series that your biggest surprise would be that the West Indies openers would hit more 50s than the rest of the team. And we can confirm you were correct um, about that, but only by um, <laughs> only by a ratio of two to one, actually. So you probably would have hoped that it would have been a bit more than that. Although Tajanarine did get close on a couple as well. So it was, maybe we could bring it up to four, four almost 50s there. Um, I think the other thing uh, you mentioned as well, I think this series shows the real decline of Jason Holder. Um, I think we sort of knew it already, but really with the with the bowler, I guess he, he wasn't bad. He did keep it very tight. I mean, his economy is still very good, but I think only one wicket for, for the series. Uh, and then with the bat, uh, especially in the circumstances he was coming in, you would expect... Uh, someone of his experience, a past captain, to sort of show a bit more grit than he did. I, I mean, I think the, the thing we'll remember from his batting will be that dismissal to Travis Head um, in Perth in, in the first test. Uh, so, Navod, do you think it's perhaps time uh, for the Windies, like a new coach coming in now? Um, I'm not, we don't know who it's going to be, but I, I think Simmons is uh, on the way out, isn't he? Uh, is it time to maybe transition past Holder or other or players like that? Um, I guess the question is, who do you go to? But, um, you know, is that something we might see? I think, yeah, new coaching is, is definitely something that needs to be looked at um, for the West Indies. I think it's it's something that doesn't just sit with test. I think it transcends all formats for them. Um, but for me, I think Jason Holder is an interesting one because he was such a good player all those years ago. And, it's it's hard to say because I really like him as well as a player, um, but I definitely think he's one of those um, those cricketers who's sort of come to a decline, whether that's in mentality or how he plays. I think definitely there needs to be something to be looked at by coaching. And for me, I think the, the West Indies cricket, even the selection, the coaching is a little bit of a mess to me. It's not really well organized. There are some odd selections um, it's just all around pretty wacky. So I think that definitely needs to be addressed first. I think that's not only, as I said, not only just for Test, but for T20 and ODI. Um, so we'll have to see. But in terms of Jason Holder, it might be time for him to call it. But um, I wouldn't, I certainly not hope so. He, he is quite talented. He's, he's quite tall, naturally tall. So he gets that good bounce. Um, and yeah, we saw how effective he was, I think, 2018, around that time. Uh, so if he can just rechannel that sort of energy, then... Uh, it'd be smooth sailing for the West Indies, but unfortunately he hasn't got that uh, at this stage. So yeah, we'll have to see how he goes and what the West Indies uh, choose to do with Jason Holder. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the wacky tactics as well, because that, that might be my last question. Uh, some of the, the bowling tactics in this match uh, were very interesting, to say the least. I, I think bowling to, to Travis Head wide outside the off stump um, and hoping that, that that will get you a wicket, uh, probably not not the greatest idea. And I, I think it was it, it was almost sad in a way because Alzari Joseph had a pretty good match uh, with his bowling. I thought he bowled much better than in the first match. His, his pace was up and bowled some great balls. But Ethan, he just, uh, th- there just didn't seem to be a- enough consistently of it. Do you, do you think that would be fair? And um, too many balls that were just too too easy to hit. Uh, do you think that would be a fair thing to say? Yeah, I think so. I think he's, he's a very hyped up bowler, potentially with a lot of promise, who has never really hit the mark in test cricket. I think his best bowling in an innings is three wickets and he averages around probably high 30s with the ball. So he's never really set test cricket alight despite having that extra yard of pace and occasionally putting it in quite a good area. So I thought I thought we showed, we, well, we saw signs of his potential in, in that test, but it is a control thing. If he can work out how to consistently get the ball in that, that key area that Scott Boland and Josh Hazelwood often hit, it's almost going to do him a world of good. I mean, with other pace bowlers who are a little bit quicker, like um, maybe an Anrich Nokia, you can get away with bowling quite loosely if you have that extra yard of pace. But certainly you do need to counter that, the ability to build pressure. Otherwise, the batsmen feel like they can dominate you and almost dictate terms. So... You know, he's, he's relatively young at 26, so he's got a little bit of time to really work on his test game. Um, but certainly, I think you can build a team around a, a player like that, and he certainly shows a little bit of grit there. So it was good that even though the entire team probably wasn't on the ball this test, that he managed to step up. And I think with a little bit of work, maybe with some new coaching, um, he, he might be able to really hone in on that accuracy and find that line of length that gets him some more wickets. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I'd agree with that. And at least he is someone that you can think, okay, if we stick with him, um, he could could be something special. Okay, well, we've been talking about the negatives of uh, West Indies. Uh, for Australia, as we say, there were so many positives. Uh, obviously, across the, the series, we do just have to quickly mention Manus Labashain, uh, 502 runs at an average of 167 Point three. He became the fastest person since Don Bradman to 3,000 runs. He uh, bettered Matthew Hayden's record for most runs in a two-test series. Even better than that, that was the, the Zimbabwe series where I think Hayden scored a, what, a 380 or something. So uh, quite an impressive feat for, for Manus to do better than that. Um, uh, obviously, Smith scoring runs in the first match uh, head in both matches. But the the player that sticks out like a, a, a sore thumb is uh, David Warner, who really struggled um, yet again in this match, scoring uh, 21 and 45. Um, uh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, no, not 45. 21 and 28. I didn't think that was right. Um, and uh, really, the first time that I've thought of look, looked at him and thought that maybe he is actually uh coming to the end uh just some of his decision making didn't look so good there uh first off uh Navod um well actually Ethan I'll go with you first uh what did you you know 
well, what, what is there to say about Warner? Where do you think he is at at the moment? I found the, the commentary on his first innings quite interesting, actually, because they seemed to think he was really on top of the game and in the zone. Langer was commenting on his loud calling and he probably played, yeah. there was one over, they played, I think, three drives through the offside. Um, and I remember thinking, I'm not, I'm not convinced by this at all. Just, just from the actual foot movement itself, I think it was, you can put away bad bowling, but as soon as one ball was in a half decent spot, he he managed to fall pretty much straight after that flurry of boundaries. So, really, I, I mean, I, I don't think his batting is that dissimilar to Jason Holder's. Really, I mean, it looks quite nice technically when the shots played, but the lack of movement of the front foot I, I find very concerning even against these West Indies bowlers who are, are markedly less quick than what we'll get next series with South Africa so I mean he, he's clearly a very good batsman with his hand eye and his ability to play different strokes but I, I do wonder whether that lack of front foot movement will have its repercussions and as we saw in that first innings as soon as you drift one wide or maybe you pull your length back a touch. He does seem vulnerable to me. So, I mean, that might be a, a technical change that can be fixed. But at this stage of his career as well, you do wonder if if teams will you know, start to figure him out. And I think he's had issues with express pace in the past. So this, uh, this South Africa series might be a big one for him, cementing his spot in the side. Particularly, there's been a few Australian bats at the domestic level who've started to put their hand up as well. So, I mean, honestly, the Australian openers have been underwhelming this series, even though we have dominated. I think Brathwaite and Tadjaran Chandrapal have probably outdone them. I think they've got three out of the top four highest opening stands. And while the performances will go under the radar, I think there are questions about, or to be asked of Dev Warner in particular, given the form of Batsman's three, four and five in Labashain, Smith and Head. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a good point you make about the openers, and I guess what has never really been someone who moves his feet a huge amount, but I, I think you're right. Now it does look even worse, and just doesn't look balanced at all. Uh, Navod um, spoke a little bit with Om uh, after the first day uh, about uh, you know some of the external things that we've been hearing uh, dealing with Warner lately, and that do you think uh, potentially sort of the the pressure to score runs and all the external noise, um, could it be getting to him a little bit? I think, of course, that's with anyone, with, with something like uh, the captaincy uh, being discussed in, in, a, in the nature that it was, uh, will, will affect someone uh, and then how they play the game mentally. But I think Warner's someone who's had a lot of experience uh, playing cricket. He's been playing for a long time. Uh, so I think he would have... Someone of his experience would be able to sort of drone out those outside thoughts, and and when they're playing their test cricket, really focus in on their on what they're doing. For me, I think it's it's one of those things where Warner's sort of in his his Aaron Finch sort of era. He's he's, he's coming to a decline, uh, as Pearson's uh, lovely favorite <laughs> phrases um, oh, no. in in regards to Adil Rashid, which I think is wrong. But um, yeah, I think Warner's coming to that stage of his career when it's it's time to maybe think of retiring. I think since that Pakistan series in 2019-2020, his average has been somewhere in the low 20s. So 
pretty disappointing and, and pretty abysmal for someone who we know can score those big runs uh, and, and is quite a, a has has had quite a prolific career. Um, those these last three years or so have been pretty disappointing for him. So I think it may be maybe coming to that stage um, where he can he needs to consider where whether he wants to keep playing uh, Test cricket. I think. As Ethan said, there are things that you could fix, like technique and, and form. I think technique actually is is, is pretty good. It's more, um, yeah, it's it's just more how he he's playing the the he's playing the ball, um, his footwork, things like that. But then again, he's also you know at that stage where he he could retire. He's quite old. Um, I don't know what he's thinking. Uh, he probably wants to he wants to be captain, obviously, as we've heard <laughs> uh, in the media this week. So yeah. um, that probably indicates to me he's he's on for a few more years. But um, yeah, we'll see how he goes. I think for me, um, yeah, he's, he's in a little bit of a decline. Yeah, I'll say I, I can. I think I can comfortably say that, unlike uh, Adil Rashid. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. As you said, had a great career. Uh, just moving on to the other player who was probably a little disappointing. Uh, well, more than probably, and it does hurt me to say it. And I know it will hurt you to say it, Ethan. But uh, that is that man, Cameron Green. Um, well, what what didn't he do wrong in this match? Apart from taking a good catch, but um, he was out for nine in the first innings after um, off forty two balls, and uh, I think we we commented at the time that um, he was making Alzari Joseph and uh, Jason Holder look like the the great West Indian paces of of old, um, and not like people who had uh, only just got ten wickets uh, in I think the the third innings of um, Australia's batting. Uh, and uh, then second innings didn't do much better with five. Obviously, there was running out his teammate of Travis Head on 175 as well. Bowling got a couple of wickets, but was quite expensive. Uh, a tough test for him, Ethan. Yeah, I always found in the nets, I, when I bowled to the number 11 batsman, I felt like a much better bowler. It felt like the, the same balls that were getting smacked for four it just appeared as these magical nuts of deliveries. And I think that's how the West Indies felt about bowling to Cameron Green. They were probably screaming to Brathwaite saying, give me the ball in my hand. I, I think he's, he's probably short on confidence as much as anything, short on form. If, if I'm right, there hasn't been a lot of uh, build-up for him into this series because of the T20 World Cup. So he hasn't had that ability in the shield season to go out and whack hundreds of fun. And I mean, it was really good to see his reaction after that catch actually, because that gives you an indication, I suppose, about how in the game you are and how, I guess, confident you are as well. Um, and it, yeah, his, his bowling is still a, a work in progress, I'd say. He had a very good Ashes campaign, but in all formats, really, he's, he's sort of known for having that a bit of a looseness to him and a bit of high economy um, play. But yes, the batting needs needs the most work. He's, he's got good stroke play, but I, I don't think he's quite picked up the pace of test cricket yet. We've seen at times he looks uncomfortable at the crease, not knowing whether to be defensive or aggressive. And really the best innings he's played are sort of batting for a declaration, but not slogging like we saw in this test. So I, th I think he just needs time to figure out an actual plan. But it is interesting to think how much of an opportunity will we give someone like that. I think with the position in the, that the team's in now, being ranked number one and being or seeming fairly comfortable at home, that's probably to his advantage. But 
he does need to start figuring things out because, I mean, he's not exactly the new kid on the block anymore. It's been a couple of summers of this. So um, we'll hope he's, he'll figure it out sooner than later, but certainly a good talent that we want to look after. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that sum, sums it up pretty well. He's interesting because he's had so many great innings and, but so many different types of innings as well. Like we think about just a, a couple of months ago, we were talking about how he was the new star T20 batsman for us after he smashed, uh, just smashed everyone over, over in India. But now, you know, he looks like he, he couldn't score a run, um, you know, in B grade or, or something. Uh, and yeah, he's just, he never seems to have it to get it all together consistently, which I guess is just a sign of um, his youth and inexperience. But uh, yeah, a tough test for for him uh, nonetheless. Okay, well, the last thing that I'd ask after a test match is just looking to the pitch, uh, how we would, would grade the pitch. Uh, as I say, I was there today and wasn't the most interesting day's play. I think uh, the mo- most interesting stuff was we had a, had one of the Morton Bay uh, tree branches fall down on the scoreboard at one point. And uh, then after the match, we had uh, some shenanigans where Steve Smith managed to break the trophy and then drop it on David Waters' foot, which was uh, quite humorous as well. But um, as for the cricket, probably the best thing to watch was how much it was turning. Um, Lion uh, turning at a mile at some point. Uh, and uh, probably the pitch seemed to break up a little bit more than um, it looked like it would on the first day, especially when you consider this was only a, an early fourth day pitch that we ended on. Um, so Ethan, uh, well, Nevada, I'll start with you. I guess it's a bit hard to see. You didn't watch a huge amount of it. Uh, um, so maybe I will go to Ethan actually, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ethan, um, what what did you think of the pitch? Oh, I thought it was a, uh what you'd expect from an Adelaide deck, really. Pretty nice for batting early on in the first couple of days. Ended up turning a little bit in, in the end. So I, I thought a, a pretty good pitch, really. It's hard really to... I mean, it, it, well, it's probably easy to say that given that this game's finished pretty quickly on the fourth day, that the pitch is no good. But almost any deck that does turn a bit will almost produce this inequality just by virtue of the quality of spinners that each side has. And really, the, the the West Indian wickets were as much poor batting as as they were brilliant bowling. There was you know unnecessary runouts as as well in the mix of that. And I I did feel it was almost like England in Hobart when they in that second innings where they just threw all their wickets away. Watching almost Scott Boland and and this morning when the West Indies got bowled out for seventy seven, I don't think it was. Really a wicket that entailed getting bowled out for 77 at all. So, I mean, the West Indies have been unfortunate this series to lose both tosses and huh, Australia come out and hit 500, 600 on the first couple of days, which is pretty much a nightmare as far as test, test matches go. But um, I was pretty happy with the pitch. I, I like seeing a little bit of swing, a little bit of nip, and a, a decent amount of turn as well makes it interesting for, for both sides. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. We had Om was uh, very disappointed in it after the first day's play, but we'll have to ask if he's changed his mind as as the the pitch uh, progressed. Um, well, I, I also saw that we've got the West Indies coming back next summer for another two match series. So, uh, yeah, I, I, hopefully they've uh, unearthed some uh, you know some of their next superstars by that t- time. But uh, 
anyway, yeah, not not an absolutely uh, incredible match this one, you'd have to say, but still, as with all Test matches, some some interesting points too, and I think from an Australian perspective, it was pretty enjoyable to see um, us batting so well and, and dominating with the ball, Bolland doing things again, so could have been much worse, I think, still uh, good fun to watch. Uh, Navod, just before we go, uh, you're over in Sri Lanka traveling around, um, and uh, I know that uh, you also are related to um, a certain ex Sri Lankan cricketer. Have you managed to uh, hook up something with uh, him yet? No, not yet. Uh, we'll we'll see how that pans out, whether it'll happen or not. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave the viewers hanging there, and and we'll see uh, <laughs> what, what manages to happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe we can we can take a poll and uh, trying to to guess who it is the the mystery the mystery cricketer. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how's your How's your trip been so far? What What have you been up to? Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's been pretty uh, calm. I arrived here on Monday at around two a.m. I was awake for about twenty-two hours, so that was a, a new experience. Kind of felt like uh, Pearson with his odd waking up and sleeping hours. But uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, it was quite it's quite good. It's been quite hot, uh, very humid, um, and I've seen sort of the aftermath of the the economic crisis that started in March. We have regular power cuts because there's not enough fuel to run electricity. So about, I think it's, it's currently around 3.46 at the time of recording, you know, at around five o'clock, six o'clock, we'll lose power. So there's no fan, no AC, and it becomes really hot. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's really, really hard then. But um, no, honestly, other than that, it's been, it's been quite good. Uh, traveling around, I went to Northern Central Province uh, for a few days. I did some charity work there and that was quite good. So um, seeing a few different parts of Sri Lanka was, was quite good. And um, yeah, it's been quite enjoyable so far. I've got another three weeks here, so I'm here for quite a while, and hopefully I'll be able to see more. Oh, oh that's good. It's oh, and very good of you to do some charity work on your holiday as well. I'm, I'm impressed with that. Just quickly on the on the crisis, apart from the the power, are things slowly improving, or you know, does it still feel like uh, people in are in pretty tough situations? I think it is. It has sort of improved from what it was in about March, April, um, but definitely, I think there were still the, the issues that were still there before the the economic crisis are still there, and if not a little bit worse. So um, I think we're in that slow recovery period right now. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of things happening, and I think cricket has been one thing that sort of brought people together. That series against Australia and Pakistan was was pretty good for for the fans, and we've currently got the Lanka Premier League going on as well. So some some things for for cricket fans and and Sri Lankans are all around uh, to to enjoy. So yeah, it, it's not bad. It's in that recovery period, but uh, obviously still not uh, not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Is the the new leader? Sorry to ask so many questions here, but is the new leader uh, doing some better stuff? I have no clue. I'm not politically inclined. Uh, if if oh, yeah. Pearson was here and if he was interested in Sri Lankan politics, he might have been able to tell you. But. Uh, uh, I have no idea on that account. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be the best person to, to answer that one. <laughs> sure. And the the Lankan Premier League, I've been seeing that on KO for anyone who wants to to watch that. It, it is on KO. Um, will you be attending any matches? I am planning to go to a match. Uh, don't know which one, but I will, will be planning to to get tickets if I can. I think they, they should be. They won't be sold out, so I should be able to get uh, some tickets and hopefully I'll be able to go 
see a game. It'll be my first game uh, of cricket uh, in Sri Lanka, watching in Sri Lanka. So uh, that'll be quite the experience if I get to do that. But um, yeah, we'll, I'll hopefully be able to to go to a match and I'll let you know on on all the all the things that happen there. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Looking looking forward to that for sure. Okay, well, that's uh, we went off on a bit of a tangent there, but um, interesting <laughs> yep. to interesting to have someone traveling uh, overseas, seeing sights. So uh, yeah. Um, but now we probably should end. Uh, so thank you guys for um, coming on. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back with a podcast sometime next week with our looking ahead to the South Africa series, which, uh, well, poses a, a much greater challenge uh, for the Australians. And we still haven't had that, that uh, podcast talking about England's success in Pakistan yet. So, uh, yeah, if Pearson can find a time from Wyoming um, in the US where he is at the moment well maybe we'll, we'll get something up about that also but uh, yeah for now thank you all for listening and goodbye